Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, hosted by our complete panel of Ed M, Ed P, Gina, Mike, and myself, Steve. As always, this is being recorded live and for the first time we're streaming it as well on Facebook Live with the hope that by next week we will be streaming on several other um, sites as well, hopefully YouTube, Rumble, possibly Odyssey. As always, we invite anyone listening to the podcast to please send any feedback you may have on the show to our current email address, which is ejsshow at protonmail.com. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, Hi, everybody. Good afternoon. Okay, before I give everybody a chance to tell me what they think are the big stories, I'll tell you what I think are the big stories. Um, obviously, Canada, which last week we had a discussion whether it was Tiananmen or Gdansk. So it'll be interesting to see if anybody has changed opinions in light of what's supposedly going on up there. Um, we have the Remington case, which I'm hoping our legal correspondent can speak about, which to me seems quite troubling. So hopefully he has some good insight on that. Uh, the Durham report, some really wacko stuff coming out. Will it or will it not make any kind of a difference whatsoever? Um, the Cawthorn story, which is still out there in various iterations, and a bunch of new spying revelations um, about the government spying on us. Those are, oh, and also the ATF story saying celebrate Valentine's Day by turning in your ex's guns or something. So those are to me the uh, interesting stories of the week. If anybody has others, please chime in and then maybe we can comment cogently on some of these. Well, the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine, I think, is the big story. Because today is the 16th, and we were assured by Uncle Joe that uh, on, on the 16th, uh, actually, it's the 17th now in, in Ukraine, but um, we were assured that the Russian invasion was going to start. So we should talk about that. Um, we're hoping that Laser checks in a little bit from Ukraine and gives us his on-the-scene report. He said he'll, he'll try and jump in so we can push that off a little bit if it's okay with you guys. Sure, yeah. Laser's always welcome. Okay. Other stories that are important to you guys. Recalls San Francisco School Board. Talk about it. Tell us what happened. So three of the radicals in San Francisco were beat out by oh gosh the margins were crazy it was like 70 to 30 and 80 to 20 um just the radicals are just getting annihilated everywhere and my biggest joy out of that is california may have hope i don't know who's going to get appointed to these positions but the fact that you know maybe 90,000 people 100,000 people showed up to these elections and um got these people out of there my hope is being restored slowly What's the total on the board? How many people? I think there was around 100,000 that showed up to vote. No, no. How many on the board? Oh, how many on the board? I don't know if it's a five or a seven-seated board. Okay, so some people are getting slightly optimistic if San Francisco can go the right way. If they can, oh, buddy. That would be, oh, yeah, just lovely. Or did they not know to cheat on the election because you don't have to cheat on um school board elections. Well, that's part of it. So we'll see. Well, this is the thing. So the mayor of San Francisco is able to appoint and fill those seats herself. So we'll see what she does, which I know she's been turning um, away from a lot of the crazy 
crazy, crazy radical stuff because it's not been looking very good on her. So we'll see what kind of decision she makes here. Okay. Wow. I think so the two biggest stories you, you already mentioned, Steve, I think the two biggest stories are Trudeau's invocation of the Emergency Act in Canada. He's now ruling by decree. And he's he's using that power to centralize the centralized power on the currency. He said he's going to go after cryptocurrencies. He's going to go after private uh, transactions. Uh, and he's going to try and make it. He's going to basically try and debank any any of right. who's a political enemy. And I think that's a yeah. huge story. And as much as I like to yawn anytime I hear the name Durham, this, the news from the Durham stuff this week was was pretty interesting, and you know we'll we'll wait and see what happens. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of a you know show me before I'm really going to get all excited about it. But you know the allegations that he's put that he's put out this week are are pretty damning. I mean, if they're true, it's a, he's saying that Hillary Clinton and Mark Elias and Perkins Coy and a whole bunch of other people are guilty of sedition and espionage and, and maybe even treason. So, Who's tech one? Any guesses? No, I don't want to make a guess. Obama? Ed, you're muted. We like it, though. I, I'm sorry, that information <laughs> is available, and uh, I've never heard of the guy, but, I mean... Um, I, I, I don't have that information my fingertips. Oh, yeah, all, I remember it was. Yeah, he they, all they, of the people in the in in the code in the indictment have been identified um, by courageous and uh, clever uh, anons. So it's um, I will attempt to find that information somewhere. But it's not someone you've ever heard of. I never heard of him. I want to go back to Canada and stay on that for a few minutes because um, this is incredibly scary stuff, the way it looks to me. They used to be a democracy. He's going, apparently Bill Maher, who used to be a liberal, is comparing him to the H word already, which is pretty serious coming from where it's coming from. Um, and I don't know, is there any limit to any powers he won't invoke? And will that give us some ideas here? Well, I don't know about what ideas you think it might give. I mean, to me, I hope I hope that the American truckers who are preparing their own convoy for March 1st, if not sooner, are paying close attention and making sure that they are prepared for for war to be waged against them by the by their own government. So, I mean, I don't again, last week I kind of was on the side of this is more Tiananmen than Gdansk. And how do you cope against somebody who debanks you and arrests you and fines you and takes away your license to be able to make a living, et cetera, et cetera? I don't know how you fight back against that. And you're supposed to do that peacefully. Well, one way to do it is if you're a trucker, you stop delivering food to these people. Right. I mean, that's where there are strength in numbers. And we talked a little bit about that last week. I mean, if, if everybody shuts down in the country, that's the way you, you fight back, right? You shut everything down. You bring everything to a grinding halt. So, it's, you know, in a totally non-scientific uh, survey, last night I found myself on a 
webinar with, I guess there are about 70 people on it, totally unrelated subject. I'd say about a dozen people on it that happened to be in Canada, all upper middle class white people, grandparent age basically. And shockingly, the few people who spoke from Canada were against the truckers, sounding like CNN survey. And I was really surprised and really taken aback. It was not a political type of scene where you could argue yeah. even if you wanted to, but they're all those disgusting truckers, what they're doing. Mm. And I, that really scares me that they don't have the support of all the average people. And there's, always gonna, there's always gonna be some, I mean, did you hear uh, Geraldo Rivera the other night? Talking, uh, basically calling them thugs and selfish. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just outrageous. Your own Brooke of the Ayn Rand Institute and all the intellectuals there are also coming out and condemning the truckers and saying that they're violating rights and that they're acting totalitarian. We're in a bizarro world. I'm confused. How can they go against their own book? <laughs> can you be an Ayn you Rand? Would, you would think, but I mean, the Ayn Rand Institute has been infiltrated and taken over by people that are anti-Ayn Rand, in my opinion. Ed, Ed Powell might have a, a different view. I don't know, but... Um, of leftivists. Yes. Of, of leftivists, yes. I like that. They, they are, they've they are, never met uh, a leftist position in the culture war that they didn't love. I mean, if anything is close to Atlas Shrugged, it is this, and nobody cared about the rights of the people in charge, quite obviously. Um, you, you'd expect them to be the only ones standing up for this. I well, just, no, I, I, I mean, nobody I'm really gonna... cares uh, about what the Ayn Rand Institute thinks because they're like eight people that no one pays attention to except they're, uh, you know, 20 cronies. But it wasn't really- uh, we, um... could go into, we could go into a little bit more depth if you care to know why um, they're behaving this way, uh, but I don't think anybody cares. So I, I think we'll just leave. I don't it think anybody that. cares about the Ayn Rand Institute, but I think for our audience of conservatives and libertarians, I think there is an interest, an interesting angle to it because it's really the 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 Ayn Rand Institute's position is basically highlighting the divide between conservatives and libertarians. It, they're they're saying basically the. The libertarian position is basically that government has to be amoral about everything and that the government cannot take a moral position on on anything, including anything the government does, that morality has to be separated from the government. So they're unwilling to condemn the mandates and they're unwilling to to endorse the the, the resistance that the, the truckers are showing. Um, and uh, whereas the conservatives are more willing to, to take the side of saying that government has to recognize certain moral norms and more that certain, you know, certain issues of morality are, are okay for the government to, to take sides in. Um, the Ayn Rand Institute is, they're, they're, they've equated what the truckers are doing to what the George Floyd mobs did without being able to distinguish between the ultimate, the underlying purposes for what the protests were about, because to do that would be to take a moral position on one or the other. Um, Interesting. Uh, I see it as totally the opposite. I see conservatives take the law and order stance, crush the rebellion at whatever cost. That would have been my father's position. And the libertarians being against the strong government cracking down on them. So Yeah, I mean, I let, 
Uh, I, I disagree with Ed. I again, how to get into this? It's really an issue of of epistemology. Is like what is true, and um, the Ayn Rand Institute itself takes the implicit, if not explicit, position on any subject that um, that what's true is what the appointed objectivist expert in that area says is true. That, that's that's their actual position on epistemology. Um, Ruled by experts. I yeah, and that. so they happen to have someone um, who is uh, uh, allegedly an epidemiologist who um, who's supposedly an objectivist and is a big Fauci and vaccine mandate fan, and he's been appointed the expert on epidemiology. He's been on TV a bunch of times too, Amesh Ajala. And since he says vaccine mandates are good and uh, he says Fauci is good, then all of the cultists in ARI and, and their friends are now, yes, yes, Fauci good, mandates good. And so if you're protesting against mandates, you're no different than the Black Lives Matter. I, I, and that, that is as simple an explanation of the Ayn Rand Institute cult as I can uh, explain in you know two minutes. The simplest thing that we can all agree on is we don't give a crap what the heck they say. Exactly. The question is, can the Canadian truckers hold one? Is there enough support for them to not get crushed? And does America see from this, hey, if it's going to work up there, we can crush them here too. And we already have a big head start with the J6ers and all of our other terrorist rules that we're putting into place with the DHS, et cetera. I mean, I... I think that them uh, going after the bank accounts of these uh, truckers is uh, a way to crush them without like opening fire on them with firearms, which would which would look bad um, on television to the extent that anybody would put it on television. Um, I think that the the financial, the, the use of banks to destroy political enemies has been going on for a while. Uh, the My Pillow guy, again, someone who's a little crazy, but he just got debanked. Mike Lindell. Yeah, Mike Lindell. He just got uh, debanked again because he was coming out in favor of the, uh, the, the trucker protest in Canada. And he's um, being debanked by his bank. Trudeau is debanking you from the whole country, isn't he? Um, well, okay. So if your bank calls you and says, you know, we're we're stopping your bank account, um, you know, I, I happen to have a very good relationship with my banker. Um, um, but and if she called me and said, you know, I, well, I'm sorry, we can't do business with you anymore, I would know that that's ridiculous and that she herself. Uh, was not making that decision. So the question is, who is making that decision? Well, we have no evidence that it was, uh, you know, his individual bank manager or the bank uh, executives uh, above that or the national bank's uh, CEO. We have no evidence that it's that. It could be, for all we know, it could be Joe Biden or it could be, uh, um, you know, one of Obama's uh, cronies who are helping to run the government. I, we have no idea who that is. So, I mean, A, it's not private, and B, it's just secret. I mean, it, it, Trudeau's doing well, it openly. I don't know. I'm going to go with Occam's razor here. 
I have no reason to believe it's not the CEO of Bank of America that's debanking people because it's only specific banks. Chase has done it a little bit. It's not wholesale. So why would I believe it's anything but those specific people who are far leftists or bending to the Twitterati? So- Someone is telling them to do it. Their bankers are not, any businessman just wants to be left alone. I don't buy that anymore. Well, I mean, it's not Hollywood, you know, I mean, I, you know, it's not, not Hollywood. Hollywood, not NFL and not not Walmart. Oh, no, the NFL, it's all about virtue signaling. It, right. It, and it's the same with almost every big business in this country today, with or without government. But Jeff there's a difference between put on, putting on a woke Super Bowl, which was stupid, and um, a bunch of woke commercials and actually destroying, trying to destroy an individual. There, there is a difference between that. I, I'm sure there's plenty of businesses who want, who want to pay BLM to go away and leave them alone. And, and okay, put a- they crushed Parler with Apple and Amazon, et cetera. They didn't need Joe Biden to do that. That's coming from the CEOs. They crushed whom? Parler. Parler. Oh, Parler, Parler, right. Yeah, no, I don't believe that was coming from the CEOs at all, no. Amazon, AWS is a wholly owned subsidiary of the CIA. And if you want to talk about the CIA just for a moment, Zero Hedge was threatened. Zero Hedge is a libertarian website with uh, financial and cultural things. They were threatened uh, directly by the CIA uh, yesterday, uh, claiming that it was an outlet for Russian propaganda. Well, I mean, it's one step from saying you're an outlet for Russian propaganda to shutting it down by for national security. So the idea that AWS, which is a CIA, uh, you know, is a CIA front organization, um, didn't uh, shut down Parler is ridiculous. Now, I, I agree that uh, the CIA acts indirectly in the United States because it's not supposed to act at all in the United States. But, um, you know, it's, it's clear that uh, it was the government who shut down Parler well, and, look, we're, we're all terrorists yeah. now, right? And just like it's the government who is, uh, you know, threatening, uh, who threatened Parler. And, and, and you and see I, the big tech, the big, te- big tech people, Susan Wojcicki was on uh, something today begging the government to regulate hate speech because they need clear standards of what they could and could not. Get. Well, of course they do. They're being killed. They're being crushed by Rumble and Parler and um, BitChute and uh, Odyssey and whatnot. There, you know, for any interesting topic, you know, if you still if you still want to know how to do something boring, uh, you can get on YouTube. But for any really interesting topic, they're being crushed by Rogan on Spotify or any of these alt tech platforms. So they desperately want government regulation. They're begging for it. She's literally begging for it. But, so I mean, that- you're talking out of both sides of your mouth there, though. Ed, are they begging for regulation or are they begging to be left alone? I mean, I, I, I kind no, of no, I said the big tech, the big tech people, I, you know, they're not good people, but the, I don't I know how that, to, I don't know how to explain sort of the government is an oligarchy, but it's not an all, it's not, everybody's not the same. You know what I mean? Everybody it's, there are factions, they fight each other. So the, there are people who want to ban um, COVID misinformation like Fauci and the whole NIH and CDC and whatnot. And they get their claws into, you know, Zuckerberg, like, we saw with the Zuckerberg emails that were released that talked to Fauci. Um, on the other hand, so there's this back and forth be that, between them, but there's other people in the government who are like, no, I've got, I want to fight Russia. And there's other people in the government that's like, no, I want to restrict Bitcoin. And they're all fighting for time and attention and whatnot. 
So I just think it's partially. Go ahead, Gina. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it just looks to me like it's a roll into um, the social credit scores that they're doing in China. They come in They're That's what they're doing right now in Canada, because it's not just the truckers. If you watch the press conference, she was very clear that it's anybody that is aiding the truckers, anybody. So it's those delivering groceries, food, fuel, whatever it may be. So they are ranking these people and there's no warrant necessary. That was the biggest, that was the biggest thing. There's no warrant necessary. It's whoever they suspect. This is how they are getting onto that social credit score. However you want to word it, social system, whatever. It's just, it's coming here. And this is just just a way for them to implement it. I just want to disagree though, a little bit with something you said, Ed, I, I got my take in what you said is that you have a, a more positive view of corporate America than I have. I, I really don't believe that the that most of these CEOs just want to be left alone. I think most of them are committed leftists and are evil people. And I think that they're willing to go along with fascism and, and you know, fascist communist type system, even without being told what to do. I think that's part of the problem that we're facing. And, you know, that, you know, that gets into, you know, the, the libertarian conservative divide where, you know, if it's just a private company, they can do whatever they want. But the thing is, these private companies, we we know that they're they're on the side of the of the fascists and that they endorse fascism, whether it's because of all their dealings in China, whether it's because of their contracts in China, whether it's because that's just their ideological disposition, um, whether it's because a lot of these high ranking CEOs or, or corporate executives come straight out of the government, whether through the bureaucracy or the regulatory agencies. Um, I just don't see them as being as wanting to be left alone primarily. I think if I'm going to generalize, I think the, the more generally they they are all in for fascism and they're willing to use their billion dollar ent- enterprises to create fascism, even if it means destroying their companies, because I think that they view the government as their primary customer now, not not the general public. So, OK, you know, I, I, I misspoke. So you, you are correct. Let me try to. There are a group of companies that are um, that are part of the oligarchy, um, and those are the propaganda industry, the news media, Hollywood, the universities, um, the big tech firms, and the other. And the medical establishment. And, and yeah, right now, the medical establishment and, and the, the, the financial firms, right? The, the banks, the big pharma and whatnot. But then there are other companies. And so they, they are part of the people who are directly ruling with the bureaucracy. But there are other companies like Coca-Cola or Budweiser. Let's take Budweiser. Um, I think Budweiser is a com- as a company just wants to be left alone. And so if it has to make a woke commercial and put it on the Super Bowl, um, then they'll make a woke commercial and, and you know, they'll pay their protection money to BLM and, and be able to make beer. So I distinguish between the, the companies that are involved in propaganda, finance, or force, the use of force, because there's a bunch of companies that, that do that, the defense firms, et cetera, all of whom are part of the three-legged stool that supports our particular oligarchy and everybody else, you know? And, and so from the, anybody else 
perspective, I think they just want to be left alone. Obviously, the people, the big tech firms and the, you know, the universities and the, um, you know, big pharma and whatnot, they all want uh, control. So I, 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 I misspoke. That that's, was my actual point. And I apologize for not being clear. All right. You're, Don't, you're let, it happen again. Don't let it happen again. <laughs> okay. I guess my, you know, my big point is, is I talked about it a lot, you know, hashtag it's too late for us. There's not much stopping, whether it's the government or the CEOs and who starts it from calling all of us up and saying, your money is now frozen. And we are yeah. absolutely powerless to do anything about it. We can go to that, court in the next 12 years and pay our lawyers with money we don't have. And we can get like- well, that, that, that's, that's, where, that's, that's where it's heading. There's no question that's where it's heading. I mean, look, I, I think Trudeau definitely, he doesn't want a Tiananmen moment. He, he's, he's looking to use other means, including the banks, to get to people. But I also think that he'd be more than happy to provoke these truckers into committing an act of violence. And but to, again, your, you to, don't your, to your point, Steve, I mean, no he, no, he doesn't need it. But from a PR perspective, for sure, at a minimum, he'd love to see these truckers, uh, you know, fight back or commit some act of violence against uh, an authority figure. Steve, I think yeah. I think that the lore of cryptocurrency is a, a direct um, consequence of what you're identifying. I think that cryptocurrencies are an attempt to do business outside of the government's purview. Um, and I don't think it was coincidental that Trudeau mentioned cryptocurrencies by name and specifically and saying that he's going to go after them because they know that that's, that's the real threat to them. And you guys know I've been talking about the digital currency that I think is coming for, for two years since we've been doing this podcast. And cryptocurrency is the big threat to that, or one of the big threats to that. And they are going to try and crush it. Whether they're going to be succeed or not, I don't know. Um, maybe they can, maybe they can't, but um, they see that as a danger and they're going to go after it. And that's really, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I have some issues with cryptocurrency. I don't think it's a panacea. Uh, but I do think that it's a, a real good hedge in the short run against what the government is trying to do, because it does offer privacy and uh, well, privacy from the government's watchful oh, eye. Huh? I, I, well, more I, so than anything else. I mean, well, yes, but I think I've seen some stories where people have had their crypto confiscated. No, How? Yeah, I mean, it's it's key. it's. Only it's only privacy. It's 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 only privacy if they um, if they don't really want to work on it. You know, if they if they want to work on it, then they can, you know, try to figure out who. I who owns person, it. Can I personally? Can I mean, remind I, you. Can I remind but it, you? But if the crypto federal... six, everybody remember the crypto six last yeah, March exactly. in New Hampshire. Right. Um, privacy is really nice against bear cats, armored vehicles, and a combined SWAT team of the FBI, DEA, crushing into your house and breaking everything down at 6 a.m., locking you up for six weeks, um, and then making all kinds of uh, conditions on your bail, which is what you're still out on. If they want to crush it, all they have to do is do that to a few big crypto uh, miners, whatever you want to call them, and it's over. So what's to stop Biden from doing what Trudeau does tomorrow? Martial law? And they take everything just like that. They can ban cash totally with the well, I've been telling you that's what I think is coming. That's what I that's what I think we've got to be prepared for because I think that's the financial crisis that they are fomenting. 
And that's the Democrats' re-election strategy for the midterms. That's my, I've been saying that for, for months now. Well, one quick thing about the uh, crypto thing uh, and the comment earlier. The, um, the Give, Send, Go website was attacked by an agent of the, um, an admitted agent of the Canadian security services. They're, they're basically their NSA, CIA and was brought down for quite some time. In fact, it still might not be up. I haven't checked today. Um, and they just did that. They just, a cyber attack against the US company, a Canadian, the Canadian intelligence services conducted a cyber attack against an American company. And from my perspective, um, aren't we, isn't that what we're complaining bitterly about are the China and Russia? And there's been no, no outcry by our government. I mean, I, you know, even if I, if I were president, I, I, I'd start thinking about sanctions against the Canadian government uh, for this. Now, uh, yeah, because you have to do something like that, right? I mean, you can't let, you can't let an attack by the Canadian government against an American company go without some sort of uh, response, especially an unprovoked kind of, you know, unprovoked attack like that. So, um, Except I guarantee you that it was an it was by invitation of the Biden administration. Well, I mean, I, I understand that the guy who did it um, again, whose name escapes me, but he was he's been outed um, is, uh, you know, as an agent of the CIA, as well as an agent of the Canadian Security Service. But he is a Canadian citizen. So uh, it's, you know, who knows who let him do it. But um, that's just another element of, you know, this is a government attack on all of our freedoms, um, a U.S. government attack and a Canadian government attack on America. Okay, so, give me a minute here because we got Laser. I don't know how long he's staying with us. Are, are you in a prisoner of war camp, Laser, an internment camp of some sort? Are yeah, you yeah, under yeah, Russian I, control? I, I'm in an internment camp. Fortunately for me, it's an internment camp with a good beer selection. Excellent. <laughs> okay, so tell everybody where you are and what's going on. So I'm currently in eastern Ukraine, Hale. Uh, you don't want to make him give away his location there, Steve. Come on. Right, right. War zone. I mean, it, it does say it over my shoulder here. Uh, I'm in eastern Ukraine. I've been out of for a year and a half. I, this is just, honestly, this is exactly what we expected, which is a lot of nothing, contrary to what appears to somehow be common belief in the West, despite even five minutes worth of thought sort of making this clear from the beginning that this is about the only way it can go. Uh, I'll give my two cents on it and kind of what's on the ground. On the ground, all we've seen of late is very, very mild reinforcement of front lines, uh, mild reinforcement of personnel. The reserves were not called in. There was a selective service. There's some sort of selective service model that did make women sign up where apparently in the past they didn't have to, but <clears throat> nobody was actually called in for that. They just had to sign up for it, but big deal, we signed up for it in the U.S. as well. Honestly, that's about it. Uh, the attitude on the street never really changed. The locals never really blinked. Uh, nothing's closed. Nothing's anything. Most of the international organizations have had some varying degrees of movement. Some countries, as was reported by every news outlet, pretty much everywhere, a handful of countries did call back embassies and diplomats and personnel and encourage all their nationals and whatnot to return home. I've seen a little bit of that on my end for the most part. Uh, people like me realize that nothing's going to happen, so we're all still here. 
Uh, and truly nothing has happened. This thus far is the most boring war I've ever lived through. So, <laughs> If Russia, Russia's talking about, quote, recognizing the Donetsk and Luzhansk, whatever, are you actually geographically in those places? Yes and no. So <clears throat> ask you a question. I'm sorry. No worries. I, I were in the presence of an attorney, so I felt like answering one. Uh, the answer is it depends. Now, in the very, very far east of Ukraine, there are the two easternmost oblasts, or essentially like a province, if you will, or a state within Ukraine are Donetsk and Lugansk, pronounced Luhansk in Ukraine, Lugansk in Russia. That letter is an H or a G, depending on the language you're speaking. So Donetsk and Luhansk sit all the way out here. Luhansk does jut out a little bit further east, well into Russia. The actual border is kind of shaped like this, and Russia wraps around it. So Ukraine has this little piece that juts out, and that's essentially these two oblasts. Everything that's happened since 2014 is in Donetsk and Luhansk. Uh, at the that moment, jutting out lasers. That jutting out, sort of the way uh, Czechoslovakia jutted into uh, Germany, is like it's a nothing knife. like that. Yes, uh, yes. it's pretty jutty, if you will. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of where we all sit right now. Is that the oblasts of Donetsk and Luhansk are divided? with part of it being under the control of the existing Ukrainian government and the other parts being the sides that declared themselves the, in English, the People's Republic, I think it's the Luhansk People's Republic and the Donetsk People's Republic, or I think uh, what the name is in English. I know it's referred to as LNR, DNR here. So I do think that there is a distinct possibility that Putin at some point in stages, but at some point first recognizes these two entities and breakaway states, if you will, as being independent states. And then I think the next step, given that they would be very, very small states engaged in a conflict, needing massive support from Russia, that the eventual goal there is to simply offer them full Russian citizenship absorb them into Russia, probably as autonomous oblasts, which there are already several of in Russia uh, for several reasons, and they date back a long time. There I'm are not sure oblasts. that's true there, Laser, but all right. I'll, I'll but let... the existence of autonomous oblasts? No, I mean, that, that, I mean, if Russia wanted that, they could have gotten it uh, five years ago. I think what they want is for the oblasts to be autonomous within Ukraine, because I think that if I think that they're more trouble than they're worth as far as being inside Russia. And I think Putin, I, I think the the ruling parties in Russia, the people in the in the Duma want them to be incorporated into Russia, but I don't think Putin wants them to be incorporated into Russia. I think he wants them semi-independent, autonomous oblast, but in in you know, and you know, disarmed, not not having the Ukrainian so. army. I would say that even if I mean, he said that him, a bunch of times and he's had every opportunity to um, do with them what the, he did to Crimea, for instance, but he hasn't done it. So, I mean, I, I'm I take the guy at his word from that perspective. I would think that the strategy, even if he wanted to absorb them, wouldn't be to just directly go and offer them citizenship. He'd wait for them to ask. That would be the, the game that they would play. Right. First, they become autonomous. Oh, they've they already ask. asked. They've already asked, and the Duma has already uh, said we should do this. 
I mean, th- those two things have happened. The only thing that's oh, okay. him is that uh, is that Putin has said no, no. And I think because he's a little bit smarter than the um, than the uh, you know than the do. But look, I think there are valid points there. But I also think that there are distinct advantages to that eventually occurring. Uh, one of them being it would effectively put an end to any degree of hot conflict here, because if that did happen, then Russia could simply say, well, the next bullet fired is an actual attack on Russian sovereign land. And all of a sudden that that puts a very, very abrupt stop to it, because as we've seen from this whole thing, nobody, neither side really wants to physically attack Russian land or Russian troops and Russian troops and Russian uniforms wearing Russian flags don't really want to engage with anybody else. Because I think that the inevitable outcome of a full-scale war by Russia would become a, essentially a World War III. Uh, it's kind of the the only outcome that I can see, which is why from the very beginning, an invasion made no sense to me. Because Russia doesn't want this. The West doesn't want this. Nobody wants this, and nobody wins at the end of the day. Somebody will be a winner. Everybody's going to lose. Uh, nobody, whoever does manage to win, will not remain in whatever office it is they hold because there's no way their country will support an all-out war in which a massive number of people will die and the economies would go to hell. Uh, it's just too much. Well, I, I I would disagree again. I think there's a ton of people in the United States who want this war. I think it started way back in 2015 with Hillary Clinton when she wanted to start a war with Russia over Syria. And I think that uh, there are plenty of people who want a war with Russia. I don't think it makes any sense but on the other hand, what else explains this hysteria that I, you haven't been here, but I mean, this uh, is absolutely hysteria every day. Well, Ed, oh, my God. Ed, maybe it's maybe it's tied a little bit to the Durham report and the heat that they're getting, you know, to, to try and, you know, keep the farce of the Russian collusion hoax going. They need to make Russia the enemy and keep. Yeah, well, they want. Hillary just put yeah. out a statement shortly on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it, but she's still pushing forward that hoax, and this is all a deterrent. But she finally just put a statement out on Twitter. I, 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 I agree that there's an element of that. Um, I read this morning that again, who knows, right? But I, I told you last week that if the polls in November are the same as polls today, the Republicans are going to win 100 seats in the House of Representatives win the biggest blowout in the history of the United States, well, since the Civil War. I'm not counting the Civil War, the biggest blowout in the history of the United States. There are D plus 14 districts that are in play now, and that's how bad it is. And I think the, the wag the dog people are desperate i mean it first of all there's a constituency the the, the big defense contractors who who you know always um, want war uh, you know who who love these wars fought by other people that they can supply arms to because there's no upside uh, there's there's no downside to them as far as they can see and there's lots of upside um so i think there's plenty of people in the united states i think the media is gung-ho for war as you can see in the media for the last couple of weeks they've just oh my god yeah, it's, it's fascinating because there are hawks on the left i mean i've seen it on twitter it's just amazing and uh if you don't support this war defending ukraine you're somehow a traitor to your own country it, it's really it's fascinating they're like the neocons of our time now leftist democrats well of course they are the neocons and they're the neolibs and they're the the establishment, yeah. the big state party, they're, you know, one of the stool, one of the stool legs, right? The whole use of force. I remember when liberals were on the side of Russia. That's how I grew up. Mm. 
they were on they weren't on the side of Russia. They were on the side of communism. But right now, the well, communism is in charge of the United States, and uh, you know, uh, conservative Christianity of the Orthodox kind is in charge of Russia. So of course they, you know, of course the hot communists hate the Christians. Uh, they've always hated the Christians. So look, I haven't been on the ground there, but at least as of the last time I was, I think I'm sure politicians want the war. Media loves war. Oh, people who benefit financially from war love war. But I think 300 million citizens in America are pretty sick and tired of massive, unbelievably expensive wars overseas after 20 years in Afghanistan that ended even more disastrously than they went. I think they're very much miscalculating that general feeling among the public. Most of us, anyway, notwithstanding some of the leftists that I've seen on social media. But um, what makes you think no, they care what the public thinks, Mike? I'm not saying that they do. Well, I mean, I'm sitting here wondering if that's part of their motivation because of so much uh, else that's gone wrong for Biden up to this point. You know, maybe they're miscalculating that they think the public would come around to defending Ukraine because of big bad Putin. Um, meanwhile, you know, obviously there's the inflation, the economy and everything else that's gone miserably wrong under Biden for a year now. Don't you think so, it makes our know. military more scary that their current slogan is D.I.E.? Yes. <laughs> and it's the first time I've uh, ever heard the military talk about die. Um, for, what do they say? Six million man hours have been devoted to diversity, equity and that other thing training. So. I'll tell you, if we get into a war in Eastern Europe or Russia, uh, we will have the most a diverse set of casualties in the history of warfare. <laughs> that's, a very, that's a very gentle way to put it. <laughs> yeah. To, to, sum up, to sum up, Laser would be more in more danger if he were a trucker in Canada. Right now. Uh, exactly. Incredibly, yes, you nailed it. And day to day there, you, you believe still that you have kind of more freedom there than here? Aside from the ability to carry a pistol, because that is just simply not a thing that exists out here, honestly, yeah. Uh, I should say for sure than some states in the U.S., uh, then states like New Hampshire, Wyoming, perhaps not. Then states on the coasts, unequivocally, yes. Then most of the states in the middle, I say yes. I think overall taxes here are low relative to much of the United States. The sheer number of taxes that we have in the United States is overwhelming relative to what exists here day-to-day -day COVID stuff, even since the beginning, at our very worst restrictions-wise, it was not even close to what most states were seeing and implementing and enforcing harshly. Enforcement here, perhaps in Kiev, it was more significant. Outside of Kiev, enforcement's been very minimal since the beginning, even when there were real rules. Where I live for months, I was supposed to be asked for a vaccine card every time I walked into a place. It happened to me one time the day after that came down the pipeline and then never again, ever. Do Not kids once. go to school without masks? Do you know? I don't know if they're going to school without masks. I do know that it's been on and off whether or not they're going to school in classrooms. So there have been points at which they're an online school. Then it was not. Then it was. Then it was not. I think it's primarily around what's defined as a red zone, which is X number of cases in X whatever, whatever. Um, so we've been labeled a red zone numerous times, and then we were out of it, and then we were in it, and then we were out of it. And it's almost as though, shocking, it doesn't really make a difference what we're doing. Sometimes it's going to be more infections, and sometimes it's going to be less. It almost sounds like 
how infections work, which I know must be crazy to people. It's but. numerology. There's no basis in, in science for any of these restrictions. None, zero, nothing. What, what, is, the, what, is, the, uh, what is the country more like culturally? Is it, would you say like more liberal, libertarian, conservative? I think that in some ways it's significantly more conservative. In some ways it is significantly more libertarian. And the day-to-day -day average person is probably more libertarian than conservative or liberal, despite an interesting mix of views, because this is much in the same way that nobody really cares about enforcement. Nobody felt like enforcing masks on anybody else. This is sort of a, a corner of the world where life has been hard for ever millennia and people just want to survive and do their thing and work and have food and they don't really care enough to enforce other things i would say i see one car pulled over here maybe maybe a month in new york city i cross a bridge and there are eight of them on the side of the road overall enforcement of kind of everything here is significantly less than anywhere I've ever been in the United States by miles or anywhere else I've ever been in Europe. It's by and large, people just sort of live and let live. And as long as you don't do something egregious, you might get a funny look in the street, but nobody cares. I want to switch topics to a minute. Ed M, I want your legal opinion on this Remington case. Everybody's familiar with what happened? Catch me up. I live across the world. Ed, give a quick thing what happened and tell us what you think it means. The victims of the Sandy Hook shootings sued the gun manufacturers for allegedly marketing guns to males that are that have a propensity to violence, and they claim that that was what caused the the shooting. Uh, Remington, as I understand it, was in bankruptcy, and their insurance companies settled the case for seventy three million dollars. That's that's the case as I understand it. Yeah, I mean um, that the 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 specific uh, complaint that the plaintiffs had it was um, one hundred percent banned by the uh, Lawful uh, Commerce in Arms um, Act that uh, was passed by the federal Congress and signed by President Bush, and so they should have gotten zero because you can't sue people. You can't sue a, a, any company, but you can't sue a firearms manufacturer, uh, just like uh, for a firearm working properly, which it did. I mean, if somebody brought a toaster in and hit a bunch of kids over the head and killed them, you couldn't sue the toaster manufacturer. And the same reason you can't sue the gun manufacturers, but this was uh, this common law aspect of liability was, was actually formally put into federal law. And so there is no way um, they could recover. However, they found a leftist judge who allowed the trial to go on. Now, why did the they make some legal? They made some legal argument that so, that the law didn't apply. I forget what it was. It, it was bogus. He stole his mother's firearm. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what uh, you know. He didn't even acquire it legally. He stole it. So. Uh, it, 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 they oh they marketed it for yeah but they marketed it to his mom he stole it so i the whole thing was just a what joke is the argument of marketing it to, to young men i don't even understand the argument yes anybody over 18 can uh, purchase a rifle uh 
So I, I don't. I, I mean, I, mean, I expect it's going to get thrown out on appeal, but I think uh, it's just very. No, hard. it's not going to be thrown out. Why don't they? Why don't they sue all the uh, video game manufacturers who have all these shooters? Oh, they've tried that. They've tried. tried. They, oh, I know. But what I'm saying, years ago, that was brought up. I mean, they, they've done studies on that, and they do show a link between <laughs> video games and violence. You know what I mean? So. So I, I just don't understand. I understand field? why I understand why the insurance company settled because nobody wants to prolong things. This was why, a settlement, not a verdict. Yes, the settlement. Why? Why, why they didn't, didn't settle for like five million dollars, which is something that is in the realm of go away money, rather than seventy-three million dollars, which is in the realm of crazy. So I don't know. There's something behind this we don't is it understand. They're woke. What's that? Is it because they're woke? Oh, they certainly are. But that what? But nobody throws away seventy-three million dollars. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in this. I mean, how chilling is this? This is a first, right? It's never happened before that a manufacturer's been held liable for something. Well, I say yes and no. Have you heard of pharmaceuticals right. and the oxycodone spiel? Yeah, and tobacco. Well, yeah, we're getting North Carolina's getting like eighty-two million dollars or whatever the heck it is that's yeah. being exactly the manufacture of oxycodone's big eight bajillion dollars, and everybody's biting on that. I don't think. I think part of part of the issue here is that the company was in bankruptcy and the insurance companies were in total control. If the if the if the company itself were viable and defending the case, I I question whether or not you'd have gotten a settlement like that. It almost seems like a setup. In some ways, um, it's almost it, it sort of reminds me of these uh, leftist groups that sue leftist attorney general or leftist secretary of state or board of elections to change the, the election laws or they sue the EPA to change environmental law that, you know, the legislature might get not give them or in this case that the court might not give them. And then they just work out a settlement, you know, sort of, behind, you know, it, it's almost like a like a charade. It's a fake game. And you're doing yourself and you split the uh, you yeah. split the profits. So you I don't mean, see this as something that's going to get translated to other um, other cases because no, it, it, it might. And that's the whole that's why I'm saying I think that the gun manufacturer would have a much greater incentive to fight for the industry, whereas the insurance companies are more willing to, I mean, they're so regulated by the government in the first place. Who knows what the government is telling them behind the scenes about, you know, if you settle here, you know, we'll give you this rate hike here. And I mean, and there are external knows? organizations that might help the fight as well, like the National uh, Shooting Sports uh, National and the Sports shooting Industry with- Lobby. Well, this um, was was this actually in a trial? Where was this in the legal system? in massachusetts wasn't it uh, no was it was probably, in rhode, I, rhode island which is i think it was it was in a bankruptcy court yeah so it was probably what's called a, an adversary proceeding in the bankruptcy court and they just they re- reached a settlement they didn't try the case so they wouldn't have even been like amicus brief filed by things like nra and nsc and all these other places um, not at this point. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where procedurally the case stood when they settled. I don't know. Um, Bankruptcy is federal, isn't it? Yes. So in other words, this didn't really go through a normal civil suit system like tobacco or oxycodone or something. Well, no, it did. I mean, it's just it settled before it went to trial. And I the issue, the more inter- the, Go ahead. Ed. I mean, it, 
Okay, so the the OxyContin suit goes back to the tobacco suit. So the tobacco suit was about the tobacco companies allegedly knew that tobacco was harmful, but they marketed it anyway. Well, I, you know, I'm however many ancient years old and everybody knew. My parents both spoke, smoked. They both knew that it was bad for you. It ended up killing my dad. Um, and uh, th this was not a secret that smoking was bad for you. Um, but uh, the, the basic of, basis of the lawsuit was, uh, you know, failure to, fail, failure to warn or, or some equivalent tort, um, and that they knew that smoking was harmful and they didn't, uh, they didn't tell you. Now, maybe they're guilty of failure to warn, maybe they're not guilty, don't, don't even know. But what actually happened was um, the state's attorney general we're like, oh, this is free money. And the law firms involved who got a third or, you know, I think they were cut down to a quarter or something in the final settlement. I mean, they, they just made more money than you could possibly imagine. So this was a money grab by the state's attorney general. And it was, it, it ended up, you know, being a permanent money grab because they've got to, you know, the companies have to continually pay, right? And I think the OxyContin thing is similar in the sense that um, what was alleged was that the company, uh, OxyContin is oxycodone uh, formulated in a time release manner. So instead of taking a five milligram oxycodone or Percocet pill, you take a 10 milligram OxyContin pill and it's supposed to last not four hours, but eight hours or 12 hours. And you know, I've had a couple of OxyContins in my life. Uh, they were fine. You know, um, I think the allegations were that they minimized the addiction, um, you know, the ability to, of OxyContin. They, they allegedly said that it wasn't addictive like the regular uh, oxycodone pills. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, more or less false. And uh, they minimize, they maximize, they say, oh, this will last 12 hours, not, you know, the usual not what it actually lasts, which is like four, uh, eight hours, you know, and then people take more than they shouldn't get addicted. Uh, the science of addiction is so screwed up that nobody knows why, uh, you know, people get addicted to things and, and people don't get addicted to things. So certainly I don't, um, I don't get addicted to things. So I've taken uh, for pain, you know, plenty of narcotics. And then when the pain stops, you stop taking narcotics. But apparently there are some people who don't. And I don't know what the difference is who, between them and me. So they sued this company uh, for this, you know, failure to warn or, you know, fraud or whatever. And they, they got a big settlement. And it's all patterned after the money grab and the tobacco lawsuit. Now, the same lawyers are looking at the firearms industry. And firearms do kill lots and lots of people every year. Uh, but of course, behind the, the firearms is a person that pulls the trigger and to you know it's everybody's fault but the person who pulls the trigger it's everybody's fault except the guy who smokes and the guy who takes the oxycontin um because they don't have any money so i think it's just another way of, of um instead of milking the tobacco industry or milking the pharma industry for uh, for money uh, i think you know in general the pharma industry is is 
immune to this sort of thing because they, you know, they, they, they spend more money on politicians than they do on R&D. But the, um, the firearms industry, they don't want to milk, they want to destroy. So that's why they passed the Lawful Commerce and Federal Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, I forget exactly what it's called, to prevent this. And it, it should never have gone to trial. Um, I don't know why it did. This, the gun wasn't even purchased by uh, the, you know, the- um, Did murderer. it go to trial, Ed? I, I just um, saw it was a settlement. Like most I... guns are not purchased by the murderer. They're stolen or bought on the black market. Right. So, I, I just wonder what precedence this is going to set. You know, I mean, must be some sort of a. I mean, the left can make a law say whatever they want it to say for whatever reason. But are they, they going to make laws that say stuff about diet coke, aspartame? It's horribly addictive. It kills people with diabetes nonstop. Music. I mean, Gina, what, they will. You know, they will. It's coming. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. You you can't watch certain things because your kid's gonna go shoot somebody. They play Grand Theft Auto. They watch a rap video. Whatever it may be, it just sets a horrible precedent to begin with. I cannot believe that this has happened. I mean, honestly, I, I'm this one. I'm really shocked at. Can I just? I want to turn. You know, if you guys want to keep talking about this case, we can. But I, there was another gun story that you put in the notes, Steve, about the San Jose. Uh, mayor and the ordinance out there. I thought that was a more interesting story. Um, for anyone who's not familiar, basically San Jose is going to be trying to implement a uh, required fee for owning a firearm and require everyone to own in, to, who wants to own a firearm to own insurance. Yes, and it gets and, quite pricey, doesn't it? Yes, and that's the goal is to make it so expensive that people can't exercise their right. And, you know, as a student of the Constitution and as an, uh, someone who's un who understands constitutional law, uh, I, I am well, I'm familiar with Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which is the right now the most recent big abortion case in 1992. And that case said that, among other things, you can't put a, quote, undue burden, unquote, on the exercise of a constitutional right like abortion. And it will be interesting to see how people on the right respond to it. Um, I, I think, you know, for instance, if they imposed a, I mean, it's, it's weird because, you know, a 24 hour waiting period has been deemed uh, too much of a burden on, on the exercise of abortion. And, you know, uh, disclosures from doctors, forced disclosures from doctors have been deemed an undue burden on, uh, on the exercise of abortion, but yet, these leftists think that they can uh, impose such a, you know, impose a substantial burden on the exercise of your Second Amendment rights, and they think it'll be upheld. I don't know. I mean, maybe that maybe the response should be, you know, anyone who wants an abortion has to pay a ten thousand dollar fee. You know, not uh, that's not payable by an insurance company. You know, mm -hmm. something like that. I don't know. I mean, you know, you have to fight fire with fire with with the left, and you have to make them feel the pain of what they're trying to do for them to understand. Have I mean, you seen any backlash it. or anybody filing against that? Because it's been like two weeks in San Jose, hasn't it? Since they've put that through. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I haven't heard of any lawsuit. Yeah, I would have, I would have heard, and I have not heard of anything. Obviously there will be some sort of legal background. It doesn't matter. It winds itself through the courts for years and then they ignore it. And when Heller's overturned, then that will be the law of the land and that'll be the end of it. You don't win this stuff in the courts. 
even if you win, it's years later. Well, you have to fight on every battlefield, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with fighting on every battlefield. Um, right. Like the, the San Francisco parents fought on the recall battlefield and the, um, you know, and, and I, I, someone today won a temporary injunction against uh, some, a military officer won a temporary injunction today against the vaccine mandate when that's the first time serving a serving military officer had Jesus. I apologize. That was my cat stepping on the mouth. Um, the, uh, uh, and serving people were fired from New York city. So one guy wins and 1400 go down. And we'll yeah, I mean, but you've got to fight in every way possible. And, you know, I think there's an election in the fall and that's a way and there's primary elections now um, that are that are starting up and that's a way um, the courts are away. Uh, the protests are away. I mean, I, I God bless the truckers. If they go in and snarl Washington, D.C. for a week or two weeks or however long um, forever. Yeah, forever. That'd be perfect. But uh, I doubt they will do that. Eternity would be. Um, to say, you know, elections have consequences, right? I'm in Virginia. Uh, the governor, Youngkin, signed a bill banning uh, school mass mandates uh, instead of normal laws that take effect on July 1st. It's going to be taking effect in two weeks, which is uh, March 1st, under an emergency provision. So, I mean, um, and when he, after he signed the law, he handed it to a little girl, must be eight, nine years old, who was suspended 10 times for not wearing a mask. And uh, uh, so, I mean, there you know, there are ways to fight back. I'm not entirely black pilled. Um, the left is really overreaching, you know, the gradualism that they that they tried for 50 years um, was working, but now they've, they've gone for the whole thing. And unlike Canada, the United States, I mean, remember uh, with the BLM riots, the Trump wanted to um, invoke the Insurrection Act, which allows the military to go in and, and create calm. It doesn't allow him to seize bank accounts or anything like that that Justin Trudeau is doing, but it allows him to uh, use the military. Um, and he didn't do it. And I think one of the reasons why he didn't do it is that the military didn't let him do it in the sense that, again, I don't think that's a good idea, Mr. President, kind of, you know, from everybody talked to. And I don't think Canada has that kind of chaos. America is chaos. And when when you think about it, the chaos prevents the United States from doing anything. And a lot of the times it prevents the United States from doing things that are bad. Uh, whereas other countries that are more organized can do things bad very, very quickly. And that's what happened in Canada and hasn't yet happened in the United States. That and the fact that the, you know, the, the alleged president is a demented Alzheimer's. Ed, why do you suppose that the Canadian Parliament hasn't ha, hasn't had a, a no confidence vote for for Trudeau? Yeah, I, I was trying to look that up the other day about exactly what the um, you know how the Canadian Constitution works on a minority government, right? And uh, uh, it's unclear, and so I don't want to pontificate on something that I don't know. But there's obviously some sort of coalition that keeps Trudeau in power, and I think that they have. Uh, crazy socialist parties that are even worse than the Liberal Party. Um, and if anything, they are not going to turn on Trudeau because they, uh, Castro, yeah, Justin Castro, come here, kitty. Oh, 
stop walking around. Anyway, um, because they, um, they like it. Uh, they're going to have to work through the Canadian legal system, I guess. Or, you know, they have to go to those individual members of parliament, the ones in the Liberal Party and the coalition partners who are the most vulnerable and, uh, you know, heat up their inboxes. But you would think that there'd be some, you know, the Conservative Party would at least call for the vote and make everybody go on record. You know, I mean, the, the truckers do have support in Canada. I mean, it's not like there's some fringe element. They're not a BLM where, you know, they're just using force and, and nobody really supports them other than the fringe minority. You would think that this is an opportunity to for the conservative parties to assert some control and try and increase their numbers. Well, in the Westminster system, they only the government can introduce bills um, to introduce a bill by the opposition, they'd have to get some, there's some sort of way where people um, from the, the government sign on, but it's just, uh, it, it's almost never done. I mean, just imagine now a, there's a four vote, uh, Nancy Pelosi has a four vote uh, lead in the House of Representatives. And, uh, you know, if someone wanted to try and get a, a discharge pet petition um, to say, uh, commend the truckers, um, do you think that uh, there would be four Democrats to go against Nancy Pelosi on that? I, I don't think there would be. I think they just probably not. But I mean, I, the government, you, you said the government needs to introduce the bill, but I don't know that they need a bill to do a no confidence vote. I, I'm not an expert on Canadian parliamentary procedure, so I don't know. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's the same it. as English. And I think it has you have to get some sort of a motion that is signed off by a majority of the comments. And I just don't see that happening. Um, if because that's kind of the way it is. In, of course, in, if he has emergency powers, can't he stop that? Of course. I mean, he can do anything he wants if if the guys with guns back him up. Uh, yeah, and that's the problem. All right, let's move on to what notice. We, by the way, just I'm um, sorry. Notice that the Canadian military wanted to stay out of it and told him in no uncertain terms they're staying out of it, and that's kind of what happened with Trump. Um, two years ago and with the BLM riots. Trump had the power, but the military said, no, we, we don't want any part of this. And the Canadian military has said the same thing. Well, given that General Milley was, you know, where he was, I'm not surprised that the military took that position. And I, you know, and if the truckers snarl Washington, D.C., I think General Milley will be the first one to say, hey, hey, you know. Shoot him. Insurrection Act. But, yep. um, We'll see what happens. They won't get anywhere near DC. They just put walls up around it. Well, I mean, that would be brilliant. <laughs> walls, walls work in DC. Okay. Uh, just anything that teaches the people that it's not a democracy anymore is fine. Mike, you've been really quiet. What do you want to talk about that you didn't get to talk about? Uh, I don't know if I had anything really specific on the agenda, but one thing that... Um we forgot to talk about last week was the GoFundMe issue that was happening insofar as the Canadian truckers are concerned. You know, a lot of people donated a ton of money to them, uh, millions of dollars, if I'm not mistaken. And then uh, Trudeau wanted to step in or GoFundMe turned around and said they weren't going to release the money to the truckers. So, you know, they're just another company, another woke company that certainly people on the right can't trust. 
shouldn't be utilizing at all any, anymore. Um, and I believe the only thing that they did in terms of backpedaling on that was saying to the donors that you could actually get your money back. I think they were initially going to take it, confiscate it, and then um, use it for whatever they, they wanted to, whatever charitable organizations that they deem fit. But um, what about uh, the give, send, go analog or uh, epilogue to that? Give, send, go is a Christian crowd uh, crowdfunding program, and they raised money. And Trudeau, when Trudeau issued his proclamations a couple of days ago, he said they were going to freeze that money. And I think they got a court order to freeze it. And the CEO of the company said, you've got no jurisdiction over us. Piss off. You're not you don't have anything to do with us. Yeah. But he can't huh. stop them from dispersing it in Canada, can he? Yeah, he but they can always could. disperse it in the United States. Now, how does that help me if I live in Canada? You come to the United States. You can't cross the border without his permission anyway. Of sure course you can. You can. People do it. Millions have done it. Come on, dude. Yeah, they control that come bridge. Come on over. Uh, you can't cross on that particular bridge, no. no maybe not on that bridge, but you can cross there's a lot of land you can come across. Anybody can come and open a bank in the United States and say, okay, direct it to this bank, right? Um, I'm not sure. Is that true? You don't need citizenship and residency or something? Yeah. Well, not only that, banks have know your customer rules where they have to verify who you are and where you live and all that. Um, Laser, did you open a bank account in New Hampshire ever? I did. Did you need residency? Yes-ish, but that's also because I joined a credit union in New Hampshire. Well, next time we're going to have to use Bitcoin to do these. Uh, I have all sorts of financial questions e for laser. Fundraising efforts. I have Don't all sorts of financial that, questions for laser, but I'll keep, Don't I'll keep worry it off about the that, public. Uh, you know, Bongino, the one thing I'll give him credit is he is trying to make a total parallel economy, um, not only big tech, but also he has a pay, uh, Venmo alternative that I think is up and running. He's yeah. going to end up with a GoFundMe well, alternative. Because we need it. Of course, they can always put that out of business and they can stop banks from helping it, et cetera. But I, I read an article I think, this morning. Um, Gab, Gab, read, Gab is doing a great job with that, honestly, with the parallel economy. Yeah, Gab is doing a great job. I read that the, that the uh, Rumble locals um, SPAC that is raising money for them is going to raise $400 million or something like that. And uh, but that the CEO still maintains a voting majority. Um, the, the one thing you do when you go public is you hand off control of your company to the fund managers, which are all people in New York. And you know, not, not only do they ruin businesses by focusing on short-term profits rather than long-term growth, um, but uh, you know, they're, they tend to be woke as well as part of the, the middle leg of the stool. Um, so it's good news that they maintain control and can be semi-free speech still on Rumble. But um, again, the more public you go, the worse it gets for free speech. Gina, also very quiet. Tell us what you want to talk Right now, I'm kind of, so I was just reading um, the Vanity Fair article in support of Hillary Clinton saying that this whole Durham thing is just a lie now. Um, so my mind's just kind of focused on that. And we were talking about the corporate, the corporate strings being pulled by somebody. I really don't think they are. 
you know, I don't think it's Obama saying, hey, Vanity Fair, print this. They hate us that much that they will make up, that they will say whatever the heck they want, and they will do whatever they can to try to destroy us. Simple as that. Um, you know, so, Vanity Fair is a, is a vanity press, right? They they print what popular people tell them to print. You know, none of their articles are like investigative journalism. No, I'm not saying they are, but I'm just saying, you know, for them to come out right away, I'm just saying a corporate. So Vanity Fair is not just one thing. It's a conglomerate with multiple publications and different things. And we were talking earlier that somebody's up ahead saying, you know, say it's Obama saying, hey, Mr. Owner of such and such company, I want you to do this. I don't think that with all these corporations that somebody's pulling the strings behind the scene. I think there are enough of them that are just that flipping woke, that hate the right, that hate Donald Trump, you know, and they're just going after it. Not everybody's got somebody behind them, like being like, the, what is that, the little marionetta yeah. or whatever, you know, it's but just that, that's the press. And that's not surprising at all. We've been dealing with that forever. I think right. I was just saying know. as far as corporate, because that is a privately owned by uh, Naste or whatever the heck it is that owns Conde that publication. Nas, yeah, right. yeah, and all the other ones. So yeah, I, I don't think there's always somebody behind there. So that's just what's on my mind right now. Hey, can I share my woke story since we're yes. talking woke? Did everybody read the story about uh, the university details how to address students with neo pronouns like emoji self and cat gender? Yeah, guys, I saw ooh, it, can I, I be just, a cat I, gender? I couldn't get through it. This is, yeah, well, it's not English anymore, obviously. You can use personal pronouns like nya and yan, which is Japanese for meow. Wait a minute, but what if this is harmful to people? Couldn't somebody have a lawsuit about this later in life because we've just messed with a whole bunch of people's minds or something? I don't know. You know, I was watching a movie, I think, the other night, and they came out with one of those third-person um, pronouns with a singular verb. And it literally, cause I'm old school, it really hurts my ears. You know, they was and that kind of thing. And it's just more and more out there. I, it's brutally insulting propaganda. I don't even remember people's names. I'm not gonna remember any custom pronouns. I hear, hereby <laughs> say- Well, I, enough I, enough companies are that far woke though it's on their name tags. So you can just follow along, you know? And you I can, go to buy a candle and I gotta see that the lady working the register go how she identifies and what she calls herself. It's all flipping nuts, man. It's people I mean, are just everybody's nuts. Everybody's getting more on email signatures, right? Yes, I brutally, uh, um, made fun of one of my colleagues uh, the other day for having pronouns in his bio. And he said, it's a requirement of his company now. Why are, why are, we, why are we not leaving these companies? I, I, I don't understand this. Oh, you know what I, no. I forgot to mention though? You guys did see, so federal employees. So we did have the vaccine mandate that was shut down, but now they are having us to do weekly testing. Have you guys seen that? For which employees? Federal employees. Oh, that's what they're pushing now. So I've refused that as well. So I'm hoping to get fired this no, time. For at their you, cost uh, or at your cost? At their cost? Huh? Or at their cost or at your cost? They we are supposed to go for free ones first, and if we have to get a paid one, then they will reimburse us, and we can go while we're on the clock to go get tested. But I still refuse. They don't. They don't need my information. You know, Gina, you bring up an interesting point that's kind of gone on in my head for the last couple of weeks, which is. Now, why does anybody um, 
who's conservative, libertarian, want to work for any of these large corporations anymore, why don't they all just start to get up and leave and start to create their own companies or go to work for another company, you know, a, a small company, a Main Street company? Um, you know, all you're doing is being a part of these companies as being an employee is propping them up and you're basically working against yourself. You're working against your own value system. I agree. Your principles and your ideals. And at some point you have to maybe start saying to yourself, that paycheck isn't worth it. It's not worth it. It's the same thing that we've seen with some of these teachers who have decided to just quit their job because they don't want to be a pawn in this game anymore when it comes to CRT and everything else that goes on in, in the schools. Well, I think the people need then, to start asking themselves that, that question. Well, see, and I was very, go ahead, I'm sorry. What they did with the whole pandemic is crushed all the small mom and pops and all the small businesses. I, I, and so that I'll, makes it even harder. You know what, in our have, area, it's not harder. Not totally. There are so many open positions and I, I think I mentioned it about two weeks ago. So I had to find new employment um, for my full-time work um, due to my injury. And um, I was able, I would, every single corporation that I was going to go on an interview with or, you know, just anything, I went onto their websites. I researched who their CEO was. And you know what, with the market, the way it is and the job availability, we have the the availability to research who's running these companies, where they're sending their money, what they stand for. If you just go on their about page and you see nothing but diversity bullcrap, click goodbye. So right now it is a wonderful time for people to go out and find a job just like others are upgrading and going for higher pay right now. It's time to find companies that match your ideology. You know, and I was so bold because I like to run my mouth a lot. Um, I was so bold to ask the people that I didn't have like the clarity about, you know, they may not have had everything listed on their site, Yeah. but I was very upfront in my political views and my ideology and wanted to find out if they align with me. Cause if not, I didn't want to be there in their presence whatsoever. Um, so Mike, I think people should start standing up and walking away and going towards something that supports their values. 100%. Yeah, I, I remember a couple of years ago, Unilever, which is based here in New Jersey, basically came out in favor of the Palestinians. And I think they were, I forget what else they were doing in terms of Israel. Well, they're, they're saying, the Jerry's problem now. But. I'm saying to myself, there has to be a lot of people that work for that company that are Jewish or support the state of Israel. And you're, you're, you're listening to this and you have to be offended, but, you know, to take a stand is obviously not always that easy. And I don't think anybody really did that I saw, but, you know, I think this is where people have to start thinking about whether they, they want to work for these companies that are completely undermining their values. Okay. I'm going to take a stand. I'm awarding grant of the day to Gina. I haven't given that award out for a while. <laughs> So, we didn't get the winners and losers. We're going to get the winners and losers. <laughs> at the last, last thing. Um, Adam? Um, I, think my, I think the winner of the week is Edward Snowden. I think that the, the Durham report and the indictments and the revelations of spying that, that are going on by these high-ranking government officials vindicates Edward Snowden in, in a way that he hasn't been vindicated yet. Um, uh, he's my winner of the week. Uh, I think Glenn Youngkin from Virginia 
the governor that Ed, Ed P mentioned earlier, I think he's a winner for this week based on uh, the mask mandate situation that he, you know, the legislation that he uh, was able to get through the legislature in Virginia. Um, loser for the week, uh, the Olympics. Um, Again. Two weeks in a row. I, I think, I don't know if this is a loser, but I mean, the, the commercials during the Super Bowl were so awful to me and the Super Bowl halftime show was so awful. And it, to me, like the commercials and the halftime show are sort of a, I guess a, a little bit of a proxy or a, or sort of a you know cultural temperature for for what the cult where the culture is and I mean if you just watch that I mean it looked like to me we're in a real sewer and it was a real to me it was a real disheartening disappointing um, reflection of where American culture is and where the advertisers think American culture is. Um, they think that we're really stupid and we're really woke and, um, you know, and, yeah, and I mean, uh, the, the one ad for the Sopranos, the Sopranos kids, uh, you know, I was watching the Super Bowl and at first I was like, okay, this is a cool ad. And then what's it for electric vehicles? You know, and it's like, I don't want an electric vehicle. Most Americans don't want an electric vehicle. They're not running out there and buying them, let alone it's like, it's so stupid because where does the uh, energy come from? It, it's not coming from windmills and solar panels. But, you know, I mean, it, it goes to what you're saying, Ed. I mean, they, right, they, Mike, they think, they think that, that, that we're with them and we're not. Mike, you're making me repeat what I put up on our chat earlier today. We will not need electricity because all the power will be given to us by gaslighting. And there's so much <laughs> going on, so. Well, you know what? If you've never seen the movie Gaslight, you have to go do it because it's a classic. Okay. Ed Powell, you got a winner and a loser? Uh, winner, uh, Glenn Young. And, uh, um, I, I thought he was a squish, and he probably is a squish. But he came out of the gate uh, doing the right thing on the school mass mandates and, and got it done uh, much quicker than I thought uh, would be done. And so I, I, you know, I, I see these kids getting off the bus and what, so they're getting off the bus with masks on because it's, but then they keep the mask on as they walk to their house. I'm like, st I feel like stopping and say, take the damn mask off. So hopefully that behavior will, will change. As far as the loser of the week, uh, obviously the warmongers, at least so far, the warmongers are the losers of the week because the, the, apparently they're not going to get the war that, with Russia that they desperately wanted. So interesting take. Okay. I don't know if I have a winner or a loser. If there's a loser, it's still Trudeau for me because what he what he did over the past number of days is just well. Is he a loser or a winner? Sure. Well, when you're a tyrant, you're a loser. Gina. Okay, so loser. I'm gonna go back to Eight Mile. I'm gonna go with Eminem. I think he's an absolute loser for taking a knee, and I can't believe how many people so they've revealed everything that he was planning this you know and you've got so many people that are buying that it was a tribute to Tupac get the heck up out of here you guys stupid come on man um so Eminem he's he's taken the L for sure um winner I guess whoever won the Super Bowl I don't remember I, you couldn't pay <laughs> me to watch it so whoever won the Super Bowl I don't remember the Rams the Rams there you go they're the winners and the guy 
the one guy um, the Rams that won like MVP of the game and MVP of this and that. There you Co- go. He's Cooper the winner. Cup. Cooper Cup. There you go. He's the winner and Eminem is the loser. Cooper Cup. I refuse to watch football. So if I miss too. Too bad. <laughs> this is our new game. See, but this, wait, this is one, one thing real quick, real quick. So Mike, this is a big thing. So we just talked about why people wouldn't leave their jobs to go to a conservative company. We can't even get people to turn the TV off. So think about it. Put it in that perspective. How many people should not be watching football right now and standing by? Well, listen, by I mean, uh, you know what I, I'm saying? But I'm just, I, it's just I, a thought. I know. I think two different things. You know, I think sports is entertainment. It's an escape. Um, right. But I'm saying if people can't really, even, if they can't a, even not, turn not off so much the TV, it's, it's how not would really they step away from anymore, their job? Though, right? I, I know. I mean, I know. The, the whole thing everywhere. Yeah. I'm just Gina saying if speaking, you can't turn. Gina, speaking just for myself, I gave up football for a couple of years, mm-hmm. but my son is very interested in it. And sharing time with my son is more important than any political statement I'm going to make. So if he likes it, I'm, I'm going to pay attention and, and keep up with it. Um, I'm ready to give it up anytime, but, um, you know, I think I'm not, pointing, I'm not pointing fingers at you guys. I'm just giving a statement because we were just saying, you know, people don't want to take that step and say, you know what, I'm not working for this same thing. You know, that's all. It's just we, um, uh, we usually got to get, get together with friends in the Super Bowl, And, uh, this year we didn't, and I watched it on my phone, uh, as I sat in front of the computer and did work. Um, I think that, uh, uh, this is the first year in my entire, not even adult life, but child life, like going back to when I was six, that I didn't watch a single football game the entire year, except for uh, the Super Bowl, um, because it's a, a cultural thing. It's a cultural indicator that if we're on a cultural indicator show, I should know about. Um, and I think there's a lot of people like me. I think the attendance yep. is down. I think the watching is down. I'm, I'm really, you know, I just had no interest at all in. Ed, can in, I ask you a question? Did you wear a mask when you watched it? Um, no, but occasionally a cat would come and mask my face during the game and I would miss a crucial sure, We all saw the pictures of nobody in that stadium wearing masks. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, I had given it up pretty much too for the last few years, NBA, NFL. The only thing I watched last year was the Super Bowl, and I watched a little bit of the playoffs in the Super Bowl this year. I kind of relented a little bit. I questioned whether that was the right call or not. But, um, yeah, I mean, they've made it really, really tough to, to tune in, that's for sure. But it's also easier to tune out when you root for the Giants and the Jets, and they think. And the Ravens. Laser, you want to uh, play winner and loser before we wrap up? Yeah, I came unprepared, but I'll keep it quick. Uh, the winner of the week would have to be Matthew Stafford because after spending over a decade on the truly godforsaken Detroit Lions where he was a genuinely quality athlete on a genuinely bad team for a middle school league, the guy finally got a chance for the first time ever to prove what he might do if he weren't surrounded by children with palsy and he won a Super Bowl ring in his first try. He has to be the winner of the week. I think the loser of the week, I'll go a little bit past the vote for warmongers being the loser of the week. And I think that the United States is the loser of the week because they were so gung-ho for weeks and weeks and weeks about there being a war that they even had the chutzpah to come out and say, on this exact day, 
Here Comes the War, which for way more reasons than I even care to dive into here is one of the dumbest things any country's ever said out loud in history of humankind. Needless to say, it didn't happen. And I think that they got so loud and so hell bent on declaring this was going to happen that at this point, all Russia needs to do is nothing. And they've won resoundingly. Did you see the tweet from the Russian uh, embassy? He's going to say the president of Russia. Yeah, it's like they were just making fun of the United States. Oh, it's just I haven't seen a tweet, but I have seen some quotes and and I couldn't agree more. And now literally the U.S. has put Russia in a position where Russia wins the most possible by doing nothing. And in that, I think the U.S. has definitely been the loser of the week because they just made themselves look incredibly stupid on a very, very loud global pedestal. Okay, folks, we're going to wrap it up because we're way over time. Um, another great show. Great to have Laser here from Ukraine. And we will be back next week. Same time. We will be streaming again on Facebook, hopefully on other uh, platforms as well. Four o'clock next week. Please send feedback to EJSshow at protonmail.com and have a wonderful afternoon, evening.